So today, I'm getting the date and the day right. It's Tuesday, the 24th of January, 2017. Today's Dhamma talk is about catching the spirit of metta. And in this talk, I will address some points to better understand what metta is or what it is not and how to develop it. And I will begin with a quote from a Tibetan um, teacher, Buddhist teacher from Dilgo Kienzi Rinpoche, who passed away some years ago. He said, Each morning, our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the well-being of all sentient beings. In other words, this is metta. As Sayadaw has explained repeatedly, metta is the wish for the well-being and happiness of all living beings. And this benevolent wish for the happiness and peace and well-being of every living being, this can be expressed in various ways. For example, may all beings be happy and peaceful. Or may all beings live at ease and in peace. Or May all beings be free from suffering. Or may all beings be safe and protected. Or may all beings be free from danger and harm. So phrases like this, they express this heartfelt wish for other beings Yeah, to be happy, healthy, peaceful, and so on. First of all, I would like to say a few words on how we speak about metta. Because the words that we use can either be misleading or they can direct us in the right direction. So when we speak about the metta practice, good words are to cultivate metta, to develop loving kindness. And this is, or these two words are tra- translations of the Pali word bhavana. So when we speak of metta bhavana, metta meditation, actually bhavana can be translated as cultivation or development. Literally, it means causing to be. Another good word, I think, is to radiate metta. Sometimes I hear people or even Dhamma teachers say, 
to send metta. Like uh, people say, I send metta to my mother, or I send metta to my friend. But when we use this word to send metta to somebody else, this can be a bit misleading. The word sending, like we use it to send a letter to somebody or to send a message to somebody. And let's take the example of sending a letter. So I write a letter, put it in an envelope, post it, and then uh, the other person finds the letter in the letterbox, gets the letter, has something in her or his hands. And so, when the other person then gets the letter, then we have been successful in sending a letter. And if we uh, speak in terms of sending meta to somebody, so then it might be misleading in a way that we think if I send meta, let's say to my friend, when my friend really gets the meta, then I'm successful. So, you know, I, tr I uh, send meta to my friend, may she be happy and well, may she be happy and well, and, you know, maybe the expectation is that then, all of a sudden, when my meta is strong enough, she gets a hit of meta. <laughs> but it's not like this at all. But as Sayadaw has also said repeatedly, when our metta is really sincere, powerful, and strong, then it does affect other people, other living beings. But this happens on account of our, of the strong power of metta, and not because I send the metta to the other person. So the metta meditation practice is all about cultivating or developing loving-kindness in ourselves, in our heart and mind. And for this, we take another person, we take other living beings as the object for our metta meditation. This means that the person is the object of our metta meditation as a helpful means to generate this benevolent state of metta in ourselves, to cultivate, to develop, to strengthen loving-kindness in our heart and mind. So there is no need to send out anything. But as a natural unfolding of this practice, as a natural byproduct of this practice, other people, other living beings do actually benefit from our metta. So there is no doubt that our pure and powerful metta 
does have sometimes quite amazing effects, benefits on other people, on other living beings. So when, through the cultivation of loving-kindness, our metta has really become powerful and strong in our heart and mind, then it radiates. It radiates this quality of friendliness, of benevolence, of kindness. And depending on the strength and power the radiation goes further or not so far. We can compare it with the scent of, let's say, a jasmine flower. You probably all know the lovely scent of a jasmine flower. The jasmine flower has no intention to send its scent out, but it's simply the nature of a jasmine flower to radiate its scent. It's just a natural law. It radiates out. And if you have just one flower, the scent might not be so strong, might not be smelled far away. But if we, if we have many jasmine flowers, a whole big bush of, full of jasmine flowers, so this, the, the scent is quite strong and it radiates much further. So I'd like to give an example that I have experienced myself to, to show how the strong and pure metta of another person can have quite an amazing effect on other people. Some of you already know the story of Taminya Sayadaw. Taminya Sayadaw was a very famous and well-known Sayadaw, a monk here in Burma. He was also referred to as Metta Sayadaw. Apparently, his Metta was very strong. He passed away some 16 years ago, but when he was still alive, that was, I think, 19... 93 or 94. At that time, I was practicing meditation at the Chamyeyeta Meditation Center in Yangon. And at that time, a friend from Switzerland was also practicing, and we spent about three or four months in intensive vipassana meditation practice. And when we stopped our practice, we were invited by some Burmese people to come along to this pilgrimage and pay respect to Taminya Sayadaw. So both of us were very happy and it was a long drive to get there because at that time the road was quite bad 
Now the roads are a bit better. And we had to cross a river. At that time there was no bridge, so there was a ferry to cross the river. And reaching the other side, it was just time to eat lunch. And the Burmese people knew people there. They had a restaurant, a little hotel where we had lunch. And after lunch, they gave us some rooms where we could have rest to lie down a bit. Well, it seems everybody else was lying down, but some food did not agree with my stomach, and I had to run. So every few minutes, I had to run to the loo. And then, after maybe 1 o'clock, 1.30, they said, now we'll go on. And I felt miserable, and I thought, oh no, another two, three hours in the car. How can I do that? Somehow, we managed, or I, I managed to get there. When we reached the monastery of Taminya Sayadaw, getting out of the car, my first question was, where is the next toilet? <laughs> so running to the toilet. And it's a very special place, like hundreds of pilgrims come there every day. And they have many big dormitories where one can stay the night because the general audience that Tamin Yasayado gives is early morning at 3 a.m. And, um, but the Burmese people kind enough, because my friend and myself, we were foreigners, they arranged to have a VIP meeting with Sayadaw. Some other people also uh, had that. And that was in the evening at 7 o'clock. And so a bit before 7, we went to that building. We were called inside and could sit down. Taminya Sayota was not yet in the room there. And so we sat down, and my stomach was still upset, and it was... <laughs> and I thought, how long can I stay in here? I don't know when I have to get up and run out. And five minutes, Sayota didn't come yet. <laughs> Ten minutes. But then I noticed... the. It calmed down somewhat, a little bit. And then finally, after 20 minutes, Saido came into the room, sat down, and my friend and myself, we were quite close to Saido's throne, like this. Maybe just about this far away. And then he started to give a Dhamma talk in Burmese. At that time, I could not speak Burmese, so I didn't understand anything. But what I noticed, to my big amazement, was the fact that within a few minutes, my whole system, the body, calmed down. No more... Very calm, 
nothing. I was sitting there calmly, peacefully, listening to his voice, talk. Everything was fine. It was amazing. It was hard to believe, but it was really like that. I could experience it myself. And so the whole thing went on for like 45 minutes, and after that he handed out presents. I got a whole bag of things, and then we could leave the room. As soon as I got out of the building, the whole thing started again, and my question was, where is the next toilet? (laughs) So there... I got quite a powerful teaching of what the power of metta can be and achieve. When talking about the practice of metta meditation, you have heard several times that we develop this quality of loving-kindness, of friendliness in our heart and mind. When Sayadaw talks, he just uh, uses the word metta say. Metta is metta, and say, that's the Burmese pronunciation of the Pali word citta. So Sayadaw uses the word metta citta. And citta is usually translated as mind. You know, everything that is happening uh, taking place in the mind. And when we use this word mind, it can be understood as more the intellectual part of the mind, of citta, such as thoughts, reflections, reasoning, analyzing, and so on. But citta also includes what we would call emotions, emotional states. Um, You know, such as compassion, loving-kindness, patience, confidence, faith, etc., And so, to really uh, make sure that citta, mind, has also this component of the emotional states, I think it's helpful to use heart and mind uh, as a translation for the word citta. Just because citta refers to everything that is happening in the mental continuum. So citta as heart and mind. So that means heart and mind just refers to one entity. Heart and mind are not meant to mean two different things. At the beginning of the metta meditation practice, at the beginning of a metta retreat, 
quite a number of meditators say that they do not feel anything when reciting these metta wishes or metta phrases. They say that there is no connection to this quality of metta, no metta feeling, but they say repeating the words, the phrases, just feels somehow dry, no connections. And because of that, then maybe frustration arises, anger, boredom, or restlessness. And when this happens, this is normal. This is quite common. You know, it doesn't mean that you are doing something wrong in the practice. It doesn't mean that the practice doesn't work. It's simply because the nivaranas, the hindrances, are still quite strong. Sayadaw has talked about these nivaranas. He has called them the big or the five thieves. You know, you remember, sense desire, aversion and ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. So, yeah, because these thieves or these hindrances uh, are still quite strong, this is why we need to cultivate, to develop metta. So we try to cultivate that which is an opposite state of these hindrances. And that's why Sayado or Venerable Viranyani or myself, you know, tell you, encourage you to continue with the practice, simply to cultivate, to develop this metta wish again and again and again and again. And you know, as you do the practice, and maybe you're not so patient, then doubts may arise. Now I have already done it for two days, and still nothing is happening. I don't think it's working for me. I mean, it might work for everybody else, but my mind, my heart, no, 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 no. But, as Sayadaw has pointed out, this is just vichikicha, skeptical doubt. Metta, loving-kindness, friendliness, universal love, benevolence. This is a quality of the heart and mind that we are actually all endowed with. We already have it in our heart and mind. So it's not something that we need to um, develop from scratch. We do not start at zero. You know, time and again, you have been uh, kind to tell a stranger where the post office is. Or many times, you have spoken soft and comforting words to a friend in distress. 
or many times you have carried a heavy shopping bag for your elderly neighbor up into the third floor. So these acts of kindness, you do them often, every now and again. So it's present. But as we also know from our personal experience, sometimes it's not there, or sometimes we do not have access to this uh, quality of metta. And usually it is when opposing states of mind are stronger when they are dominant. Such states as anger or craving, attachment, ill will, restlessness, doubt, and so on. So at that time, it's not that the quality of metta is completely lost or gone, but it's hidden or it's submerged under these more unwholesome mental states. And so it is for this reason that we need to strengthen metta. We need to make it much stronger. We need to make it much more pervasive. You know, we could consider this retreat uh, like uh, being at the metta gym. In the metta gym where you strengthen your metta muscles. And we strengthen loving kindness, metta, until it really becomes very powerful, very strong, until it becomes a boundless state, when it has no more boundaries, no more limits, no limitations, until everybody and every living being is included in our kindness. In every situation, under all circumstances. I know it's a very high bar, but it is possible. And so, when there are no more limitations, no more boundaries, then it becomes a boundless state or a divine abiding. Last night, in the Metta chanting, Venerable Viranyani, she introduced this chant, uh, Boundless States. As explained, these are the four Brahma-viharas, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka. Loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So coming back to the, the practice of metta meditation, to the repeated cultivation of this benevolent wish for myself, 
to be happy and peaceful, for my benefactor to be happy and peaceful, for any person or being to be happy and peaceful, or for every living being to be happy and peaceful. And this repetition of this metta-vish can be compared to watering a seed. Venerable Pema Chodron is a Western nun in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and she has said, when we repeat the metaphrases, it is as if we pour water on the seeds of metta so that they can start to grow. As we know, when we plant seeds, they need water to grow. I have never really been a gardener, but um, in the past few years, since taking care of my father, when I'm not away teaching, I have started to plant sunflower seeds in springtime, so to have many sunflowers in the garden in summer. And planting sunflower seeds is quite gratifying because when I put them into the earth, already after a week or ten days, they start to sprout, to grow. Some years ago, a friend of mine brought me some seeds from the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya. And they were tiny little seeds. So very happily, I put them into the earth and started to water them, regularly watering them. After two weeks, nothing has happened yet. Continuing. One month, nothing is happening. Continuing to water. Two months, nothing oh, well, maybe they don't like the Swiss climate. <laughs> but I continued to water. And then, after three, more than three months, finally started to sprout, little green plant coming out. Of course, I was very happy. And now they have grown quite big. Well, I had to cut them, otherwise they would have gone through the ceiling. <laughs> So I, I like this analogy of watering the seed of metta. It needs patience, perseverance. Eventually, something starts to transform, to grow, to grow big. And so in the beginning, even if we only repeat the words, only if we repeat this metta-wish, May I be happy and peaceful. May I be happy and peaceful. This is a good, necessary beginning. This is the first step. And if we, if we do just this, repeating the words, with this we signal a willingness to develop loving-kindness 
so we show our goodwill that we actually want to strengthen, to cultivate this quality of loving kindness in ourselves. And so each time we verbalize this metta wish internally in our mind, we pour a little bit of water on the metta seed. And with actual seeds, eventually this causes a transformation, this causes the seed to sprout and grow into a plant. So this is why we tell you time and again, continue (laughs) to cultivate this wish. And as best as you can, try to do it without any expectations. Of course, to have no expectations is hard, because after all, you have come here to cultivate metta, two weeks or a month, and you surely want um, to make some progress, to get away with something. But having too strong expectations can stand in the way and prevent uh, the feeling of metta to arise. So it would be best to simply drop all expectations and just do the practice, to trust that the practice will take care of itself and take care of the rest. You know, if you have planted an apple seed, then you do not need to worry that you will get a mango tree. You will get an apple tree. (laughs) In the beginning of the practice, repeating the wishes, the words, as I said, sometimes it's It seems like simply uh, repeating the words. Um, We think we do not have really a connection with our heart, the mind, no connection with this quality of metta. But maybe sometimes then there is a moment when we feel, ah, now really, it's a heartfelt wish. There is sincere friendliness or benevolence but then maybe after a few moments it disappears again. That's good enough. You know, from there it will strengthen, become stronger, stay longer. And as the Buddha has said, already one moment of metta is very effective very good, very powerful, because one moment of metta is one moment of a wholesome mental state, which means that in one moment there is no unwholesome mental state present. So at one time the Buddha had said, If one shows kindness 
for all living beings, even once, even one moment. By that, one becomes wholesome. So, showing kindness, just one time, one moment, one dwells in a wholesome mental state. So metta usually is translated as loving kindness, friendliness, benevolence, and so on. So metta used as a noun. <clears throat> but just to cultivate this quality in ourselves and then say, okay, now my heart, my mind is full of metta, now I can pick it off the list and do something else. That's not enough. Because metta, or the Buddha also used this word as a verb. So, metta-yati. And so this emphasizes the fact that metta is something that we have to enact, that we have, that it is something to do, something that we have to somehow manifest with our being. And in this verse, these words from the Buddha, it is this verb, if one shows kindness, so to show kindness, or we could say to enact kindness or to manifest kindness or simply say to be kind or to be friendly. So this is something we need to do, not only once, but repeatedly, Again, all the time trying to enact our kindness in actions of body, speech and mind. And this kindness, metta, needs to be directed to somebody or to something. Namely, it needs to be directed to living beings. So as we know, we take a living being as the object for our metta meditation, but then the kindness or metta is something we cultivate in our own heart and mind. We simply take this other person or all beings as the object for our metta meditation so that we can develop this wholesome quality in ourselves. And then, as it becomes strong and powerful, it just naturally radiates out. It's its nature. The stronger it is, the stronger and further away it radiates. So kindness, loving kindness, or friendliness, benevolence, this is not just a nice intellectual idea, a nice intellectual thought, but metta-kindness 
is a living state of mind or a living emotion. And it's something that um, cannot be made or faked. Either it's pure and sincere or it's not. But, you know, at the beginning, we try to get there. So, in your practice of the last three days, you have surely come to see the difference between thinking thoughts of loving-kindness and actually experiencing this benevolent quality of loving-kindness in your heart, in your mind. But as I've said, the, the words, the, the phrases are a helpful basis and support for the arising and development of uh, metta. But just to be careful to know that the words alone are not enough. The Buddha has said that there is nothing that changes as rapidly as the mind. The mind is continually shifting attention from one object to another. It is constantly shifting from wholesome mental states to unwholesome states of mind or shifting between good and beneficial states to bad, harmful states of mind. So even if we have just one moment of loving-kindness in our heart and mind, then we have ennobled our heart and mind with a wholesome state of mind, which means that with that we have reduced the negativity by one moment. Because when there is pure uh, metta, at that moment there cannot be attachment or ill will or anger or frustration. So we might think that, you know, just one moment of metta reducing um, negativity by one moment does not really make a difference, but actually it makes a difference. And it makes even a bigger difference than we may think. So each moment of loving-kindness is actually very powerful and can have far-reaching effects. I think we have all experienced moments when we are caught in negativity, you know, when everything seems to go against us. Aversion, uh, doubts, restlessness, frustration, whatever. And in such moments, it seems to be so difficult 
it seems to be even impossible to think one kind thought. At such a moment, caught in negativity, we cannot think of one good reason why anyone should deserve our kindness. Even though it seems impossible, we should try anyway. When we are caught in negativity, can we just think a kind thought, a meta thought for a person uh, with respect, person we consider our benefactor, or a person who is very dear to us? You know, just trying to think a kind thought. And even if this thought does not come from the deepest place in our heart, doesn't matter. Because already the intention to think a kind thought is turning the mind in a good direction. This is turning the mind into a wholesome direction. And so, if it is even for a brief moment, it will have a transformative effect upon our heart and mind. So it will help change the dynamic of our heart and mind. Even it will have an effect on our body. And so this can really make a difference. And so in this way, this can be a helpful start to get out of our negativity. So this is why the Buddha had said, if one shows kindness for all living beings, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. And I will end this talk with a quote from the Buddha. It's a bit simplified. And with this quote, the Buddha extols the importance of loving-kindness. The importance of loving-kindness, not only for the sake of cultivating and strengthening this beneficial quality of our heart and mind, but also the importance loving-kindness has for the practice of liberation. This is what the Buddha said. Whatever grounds there are for making merit, all these do not equal a sixteenth part of loving-kindness. The liberation based on loving-kindness surpasses them and shines forth, blazes, and is bright and brilliant. I thank you for your kind attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.